0: This is Truth with Grace, the media ministry of Grace Baptist Church. We're so pleased you've joined us today as we continue our exploration of the truth found in God's Word and the grace of salvation. Pastor Pierre Rosa is continuing his preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. We're at the beginning of chapter 13. God created humans to appreciate stories as a way to communicate truth. Today, Jesus uses a parable, a story, to explain something important about the Kingdom of Heaven. Some call this parable the parable of the seeds, but we'll stick with the name Jesus gave it, the parable of the sower. That's an apt name, not just because it was given by God Himself, but because today we'll learn why there are differences in response to the Gospel from the perspective of the sower. We'll also learn who the sower is and find out, once again, just how blessed we are as believers. My name is Brian Schmidt, and I'll have more information for you at the end of this program. But for now, let's listen to today's message from Pastor Pierre.
1: Let's read Matthew 13, verses 1 through 17. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, "'Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and made them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away.' "'Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. "'And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. "'He who has ears, let him hear.' "'The disciples came to him and said, "'Why do you speak to them in parables?' "'Jesus answered to them, "'To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven.' But to them it has not been granted, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. A wealth of truth here for us to digest here in the next moments that we have together. First, we have the story here, the parable. We're not going to dig through the meaning of that parable because Jesus does that in verses 18 through 23. So we will have that meat of that interpretation next week. But for now, I want to call your attention to four points that will help us understand the analogy of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, or the analogy of the royal mystery. That's why I'm I'm naming this whole thing a royal mystery, because Jesus is talking very clearly. To you it has been granted to understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So right there we know that to some people God allowed access to those mysteries, and to other people God did not allow access to some of those mysteries. But let's see if we can understand what's going on here by looking at his introduction, his presentation, his recommendation, and his explanation here. So verses 1 through 3, we have the introduction. Jesus tells them the kingdom parables immediately after his confrontation with the scribes and Pharisees. That is significant. That is something we need to keep in mind because that's in the context. That helps us understand why Jesus is quoting here Isaiah chapter 9. When he says, whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. So we understand a little bit why Jesus is using proverbial language here to communicate spiritual truth. He explains the methodology to the disciples. So he reveals and at the same time conceals the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So keep those things in mind. But let me call your attention to the presentation, verses 3 through 8. The parable focuses on the destiny of the seeds. Even though this is the parable of the sower, the main theme here that we see is the destiny of the seeds related to where they land. First of all, we have seeds scattered in verse 3, the second part of that verse. The, The sower went out to sow seeds, and therefore he's scattering the seeds. Jesus' audience is an agrarian society. They would have understood clearly the picture of a farmer working in his field. And because Jesus commissioned the disciples in chapter 10, Remember this, he commissioned them to announce the kingdom of heaven. You remember that, chapter 10, verse 7. They would have immediately associated correctly the sowing of seeds with gospel proclamation, at least the disciples, because remember, Jesus is concealing information from people whose hearts are so hard that they will not hear from him. But the disciples would have immediately associated the scattering of the seeds with gospel proclamation, and we can deduct that even before we look at the interpretation. Why? Because of the context. Chapter 10, Jesus sends them out. And in chapter 13, he says, A sower went out to sow seeds. Even before we look at the explanation of the parable, starting in verse 18, we already have a firm grasp of a spiritual reality. And here it is. The message of the kingdom is meant to be broadcast, not capped. Again, why do we say this? Because in chapter 10, Jesus Christ commissioned the disciples. Therefore, the message of the kingdom of heaven is not meant to be kept, but to be shared, to be scattered, to be cast abroad, to be broadcast. In other words, people need to hear that God still admits sinners into his kingdom. Otherwise, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? Paul asks in Romans 10, verse 14. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Therefore, my friends, if you belong to the kingdom of heaven, and if you are a born again subject of the kingdom of heaven, you are in the business of scattering the seeds of the gospel. It's a very simple concept to understand. It's not hard. It may be hard to accept. It may be hard. People resist that from time to time. We do. Our flesh resists the idea that we are here in this world in order to give glory to God. And But the, one of the main things we do is to scatter the seeds of the gospel. People will not believe in Christ if they don't hear about Christ. They will not hear about Christ if you and I don't go out and sow those seeds. That's a very simple concept to understand. Now, God will take care of the how and when in terms of growth. But our job is to scatter the seeds. How do we know that? Because, again, disciples of Christ were commanded to go and proclaim the message. So the first element of that story, we have seeds scattered. But besides that, the next element in this parable here, we have seeds stolen. Verse 4, don't think in terms of modern machinery for farming. This is a man walking along the field and sowing manually, grabbing uh, seeds from his bag and sowing seeds manually. Some seed falls by the edge of the field or is driven by the wind on the non-plowed beaten path, impossible to penetrate. As a result, they lay exposed to the birds because they cannot penetrate the soil. And again, church, before we even look at the interpretation, here's another reality that we can grasp, another spiritual reality here. Looking at the immediate context, we can already identify some metaphorical impenetrable heart soils. The scribes and Pharisees, their hearts were so hardened that they would not receive the message of the gospel. So, again, the disciples are hearing this and they can start to grasp some of those realities. And here is the second spiritual reality based on that example that we can identify. Not everyone who hears the gospel embraces it. Now that is a sad reality for us preachers because we want people to embrace our message, don't we? The problem is many people who preach the message, whether from a pulpit or when you're sharing the gospel with someone, you know of this reality. And because you want the other person to accept the message, what do you do? You modify it. You water it down. And we should not do that because according to a spiritual reality in parabolic form here, Not everyone will receive the message of the gospel. That's a fact. Overwhelming response to the gospel proclamation is the exception in human history. We need to understand that. Revivals are rare by definition. Oh, we want one, of course. We pray for one, of course. We want the seed to penetrate every heart when we are broadcasting the message of the gospel. But the reality is, revivals are rare. Not everyone will respond to the message. So we need to fight the temptation to modify the message to make it more acceptable to people. Again, our job is not to make the gospel acceptable, but available. But I want you to see here, besides seeds scattered and seeds stolen, here's a third element of this parable here, verses 5 through 6. Seeds scorched. Some of these symbolic seeds lay on rocky ground. That's the next part of the story here in the development, in the plot of this very short story. The symbolic seeds land on rocky ground, which contains a shallow layer of fertile soil. But from the perspective of the farmer, the field looks ready to produce crops. You understand that? From the perspective of the sower, the farmer, the field looks ready. However, there is a layer of limestone very common in that part of the country underneath, which the farmer cannot see. And for that reason, some of the seeds do penetrate the soil, but the roots can't reach the nutrients necessary for growth. As the result of that, because of the the good layer on top of the layer of rocky soil here, the result, the sun destroys whatever growth there is because the roots can't penetrate deep enough in order to get all the nutrients necessary. And once again, church, just looking at the context of the entire Gospel of Matthew here allows us to draw another spiritual reality here just by looking at this, even before we're looking at our interpretation superficial association with the gospel message will not endure. We all know people like that. We all know people who are moved by the kindness of God when they hear the gospel. They are moved by the love of God when they hear that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But when they hear about the cost of discipleship, that enthusiasm initially is destroyed. Why? Because superficial association with the gospel message will not endure. The sun scorching a seed here gives us the picture of conflict. It gives us the picture of hardship. It gives us the picture of unpleasant experiences. Let me give you the example from the gospel of Matthew. You remember this guy, chapter 8, verse 19. I'll refresh your memory. This was a scribe who most likely displayed only verbal loyalty to Christ, only a superficial association. And we know that because of the way he phrased his question to Christ. Matthew 8, verse 19. He says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, if you really want to follow me, here's the reality of following me. I have no place to stay. I depend on God for that. Therefore, if you want to follow me, that's where we're going. Clearly, then, Jesus alerts this man about the cost of deep, profound, and true identification with him. And again, we know many people like that who initially respond to the message. Maybe there's a social aspect of coming to a church. Maybe there's a social aspect of belonging to a group of people, of being accepted Uh, or maybe being entertained by a couple of songs, whatever the case is. But when they realize, okay, if this is what's going to cost me, then I'm out. Your salvation is free, of course. But following Christ will cost you. Now, besides seeds scattered, seeds stolen, and seeds scorched, the next element I want you to see here according to verse 7 is seeds suffocated. Verse 7, seeds suffocated. As carefully as the fictitious farmer here plows the field, thorns and thistles still manage to take root perhaps in the corners of the field and these thistles and thorns consume the resources that the metaphorical seeds need to develop and again looking at the context and just doing careful reflection we have an image of our minds here of conflict and loss which means that in the growth of the kingdom of heaven there will be loss there will be conflict it won't be smooth sailing all the way to the pearly gates There will be conflict, there will be losses, there will be frustration, there will be disappointment here during this time, but when we get to the establishment of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, for those of us who are members of the kingdom, there will be no more frustration and loss and conflict. But for now, I want you to see the next element of the parable here. Besides seeds scattered, seeds stolen, seeds scorched, and seeds suffocated, the next element breaks the pattern, and that is seeds sprouted. Verse 8. The fictitious story, then, takes an interesting turn here. This time, the proverbial seed lands on soil that is properly plowed, free from the hidden layer of rocks and weeds. And as a result, they grow firmly rooted. And check this out, church. They produce fruit and they multiply. See, I want you to keep those elements in your mind because that's the picture God wants us to see. The seed produced fruit and multiplied. And the sudden change in pattern here yields another spiritual reality about the kingdom of heaven that I want you to see. See, most people who hear the gospel reject the message. Four types of soils, only one soil produced fruit. So most people who hear the gospel reject it, but the ones who respond in faith perpetuate kingdom growth and become sowers themselves. What does it mean to Multiply. It means that the seed germinated and became a tree, became a crop that produced seed. And that seed that was produced by the first seed fell on the soil and presumably produced more fruit. That's what the story tells us. So keep those things in mind because we're going to go back and elaborate on all of these realities here next week. For now, I want you to see that after the introduction and the presentation of the analogy, Jesus is telling us spiritual reality in analogy form. There is a recommendation in verse 9. So there is an introduction, a presentation, and now a recommendation in verse 9. Jesus encourages careful study. That is why he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He encourages reflection and illustrates the fact that this is a timeless truth. In other words, this is not packaged for the first century only. This could be understood even for us today if our hearts are open, if our ears are open to hear divine truth from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Because remember, he is revealing truth to some people and concealing truth from other people. And here's the explanation, verses 10 to 17. So we have the introduction, the presentation, the recommendation, and now the explanation. We're going to spend more time in the explanation here because, again, this is not the interpretation, but this is the explanation as to why the methodology. Because the disciples asked him, why do you speak to them in parables? Here's the explanation. The didactic approach was not uncommon. Again, they are confused about his purpose. Why? Because, wait a minute, if you are the king of kings, if you are calling us to announce the message, you want people to understand the message. You don't want to obscure the message. So they're confused. They're saying, why do you speak in parables? Well, he explains his goal in his infinite wisdom. Jesus conceals those spiritual realities from a group of people whose heart reject him. We've already talked about that. Despite the overwhelming evidence for his divinity. Now the scribes and Pharisees are telling everybody that Jesus operates by satanic power and demanded a sign. You see, they demanded a sign not realizing that the sign was looking at them in the eye. And they epitomize the arrogance and pride of the human heart who rejects salvation. They're looking at Jesus Christ and the sign from heaven is looking them in the eye and they're saying, we need a sign. In other words, we need you to prove to us that you are not satanic. Give us a miracle to prove that you're not satanic. Give us a sign. And Jesus says, that's the kind of soil that is hardened. That is that is the reason why I'm speaking in parables, to judge them. So Jesus has spoken parables, church, for some reasons here. One of them is to condemn and judge people who will not understand, who will refuse to accept and acknowledge Jesus Christ. But to another group of people, I want you to see here, the people who responded to him, his spiritual family. Remember, at the end of chapter 12, he says, these are my family. These are my sisters, brothers, and my mother. This is my spiritual family. The people who accepted him, who who acknowledged him for who he was, And to them, therefore, he reveals that mystery. Again, church, keep this in mind. Not an enigma, but something only partially revealed. And in verse 11, I want you to see here something very clearly with me. Jesus answered to them, to you it has been granted to know. In other words, you only know divine truth because the Father has allowed you to know divine truth. You see, knowing divine truth. It's not a result of our great noble quest to find truth. It's an act of grace. It has been granted to you, Jesus says. That's divine sovereignty on display here. He decided that he will allow some people to know the truth. That's what he's saying here in verse 11. And to others whose hearts are already predisposed to reject him, they're not going to understand. Now, Although the Jews expected, I want you to know this, the Jews expected the messianic kingdom. On a national scale, they rejected Christ when he showed up as a suffering servant instead of a conquering general. You see? You remember John the Baptist asking Jesus through his disciples when he was arrested? Well, are you the one or should we wait for another one? Why is he asking this? Because wait a minute, I just preached about judgment. Judgment. But there's no judging going on. In fact, he is forgiving people. He is healing people and all of that. So many of those folks here on a national scale rejected Christ because he did not come as a conquering general but as a suffering servant. The king is here, but he would be killed. He would rise from the dead and ascend back to heaven and postpone the establishment of his kingdom on earth until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, according to Romans eleven verse twenty five, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, in God's redemptive plan, He has allowed for Gentiles, for non Jews, to be a part of His kingdom. But you ask this: you may you may be thinking while you're processing these wonderful and fascinating truths, you may be asking, Pastor, if Jesus is King, why isn't He ruling now? I'm glad you asked, because again, another mystery of the kingdom is this. One of those. Remember, Jesus says the mysteries. is of the kingdom. Here's one of them. We live during the time when the king of kings rules from heaven. In the meantime, he commands members of his kingdom to sow the seeds of the gospel while the Holy Spirit who indwells believers equips us for the task. And here's more about this royal mystery here. King Jesus is ruling from heaven. Remember book of Acts when Jesus Christ risen from the dead Uh, The disciples asked him, is this the time you're going to establish the kingdom? And he says, not for you to know, but you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria, and all the parts of the earth. And he ascended back to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. So he's ruling and reigning from heaven. But listen to this, church. Again, this wonderful, fascinating mystery which God has given you access to. While he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven... At the same time, he also lives in the hearts of believers. What a great truth. He's ruling from heaven, but he's also living in the hearts of believers. According to Paul, Colossians 1 verse 26, he says this, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generation, but now has been made manifest to the saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is God in you, the hope of glory. You see, King Jesus lives in you if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a born-again member of the kingdom of heaven. Not only are you in the kingdom, but the king is in you. So church, in the pages of the Bible, God unveils the mysteries about the kingdom of heaven to us. He wants you to understand the simple truth, not for the purpose of making you smarter, but to make you more like His Son. You see, that's the purpose of us knowing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Not so that our heads will be filled with knowledge, but our hearts will be filled with joy and gratitude for so great a salvation that the Son of God, the King of kings, lives in heaven. Yes, He sits at the right hand. Of, that's where His body is, His resurrected body was ascended to heaven. But he lives and rules also from the hearts of believers, and that is the hope of glory, Paul says. When you understand, church, your blessed position in him, how he admitted you into his kingdom, and your role in perpetuating the kingdom, your heart should burst with gratitude and joy, which should turn into faithfulness in practical terms, you see? Our hearts are filled with joy and gratitude, and that joy and gratitude should translate into faithfulness in service to him. For this reason, church, I ask you, who are the sowers? Who are the sowers of kingdom seed? We are the sowers of kingdom seed. We will talk about that next week because there's a line of faithful people that we follow. We stand in the shoulders of giants, but God will perpetuate his kingdom using you and me. Again, that's a mystery, one of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 14. I want you to see here. Amazingly, Jesus switches the methodology and now teaches his disciples in non-parabolic form. Did you catch that? When he says, in their case, the prophets of Isaiah is being fulfilled. So in other words, Jesus is explaining to them the Old Testament. The Pharisees, remember, they saw and they heard the king and still they rejected the kingdom. Church, they could not, they would not appreciate or even grasp or even understand biblical truth but look at verse 16 i love when we see verses that start with this little conjunction here but blessed are your eyes jesus contrasts the reality of the disciples with the reality of these guys who rejected christ He contracts the tragic condition of hardened hearts with the indescribable privilege of those who belong to the family of Christ. And he uses the same word I want you to see here, the same exact word for the Beatitudes. Blessed are your eyes. See, if you belong to the kingdom of heaven, my friend, again, God already pronounced you supremely fortunate, immeasurably happy, and indescribably favored. Why? Because you have access to the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Do not take that blessedness for granted.
0: If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is radio at gbcsalem.org or you can visit our website truthwithgrace.org for more information about our church and this media ministry. Plus, we're always looking for people just like you to join us in spreading the gospel around the world. This broadcast has provided you at no cost to the generosity of financial and prayer supporters of Truth With Grace. Please feel free to share it, but please don't charge money for it or edit it in any way without the written consent of Grace Baptist Church. Until next time, this is Truth With Grace.